The following message is brought to you by Berean Bible Church and may be used and distributed free of charge. For more free audio, video, and text resources, be sure to visit www.bereanbiblechurch.org. Thank you. Good morning, Bereans. Appreciate you being here today. We're continuing our COVID-19 series. I don't know, maybe a couple more weeks, but I, I just want... I want to deal with this because I think it's something that we all, you know, we're all going through and we need encouragement at this time. Uh, There's a lot going on in our world right now. This COVID-19 event has to have you asking questions if you have any semblance of a brain, okay? And I'm, I'm not trying to be mean, but listen, people, we're thinking beings, but we're being taught not to think, but we have to start thinking. And if you're looking out there, you got to say, hey... This doesn't seem to add up. They're shutting down the world. The world. And now, listen, now we know that COVID-19 is not as deadly as the seasonal flu. We know that. And we go through the flu every year, and we live. There's people who are at a higher risk. I know that. But here's how you work stuff like this. Sick people stay home, quarantine. Healthy people get to go do what they want to do. That's just how it works. So why are the democratic states not opening up? They have the data. Why are they not opening up? Why does it seem that the Democrats want to ruin our economy and our nation? Well, I'll talk about more about that in a minute. But what I want you to understand is that we are in a battle against evil. We are in a battle against lies and falsehood. Truth and lies. It's not truth and error because it's not error on their part. It's malicious. It's falsehood. And if we're going to survive in this battle, I believe we need to put on the armor of God. And we need to take a stand. Now this past week, on May 11th, 2020, Q posted, post 4207, he posted Ephesians 10, Ephesians 6, 10-18, as a reference to the battle that we are fighting. Now, you might be saying, okay, who's Q? You don't know what's going on here. Well, we've discussed this in the past. I can't bring you up to speed on this, but Q is a group, I believe, of high-level military intelligence officers overseeing a subversive operation to thwart the planned destruction of our constitutional republic. All right? And I believe Q is working very closely with our president. Q posts cryptic messages to anonymous internet forums claiming to be an insider with the U.S. government working with President Trump and the Patriots to take down the deep state. Now, last Sunday, May 10th, an Anon, they're the anonymous people who post on the board, an Anon posted, he said, the use of the hashtag would absolutely blow up, Q. Hashtag Obamagate tweeted, Tweet requested from Q+. So, this Anon on the board is asking Q to have Q+, who is President Trump, tweet out Obamagate. Guess what President Trump did? He tweeted out in all caps, Obamagate. Alright? Exclamation point. And then Q responded in post 4199, four Anons, for the anonymous... He's telling me, you asked for it, here it is. This is for the Anons, Obamagate. 
So whoever Q is, he, they, they're working with President Trump and they have an agenda. They are trying to take down the deep state that is seeking to destroy this country. Who is the deep state? You've heard that term? Anybody not familiar with that term now? I mean, lately, it's, you've heard a lot about it, right? Since it was first coined, which has been, as far as I can tell, over 20 years ago, no precise definition for what it means has fully taken hold. Use of the phrase generally denotes belief in an informal or parallel government that exists to countermand legitimate, usually more democratic institutions. Now, according to Monmouth Poll from the spring of 2018, few Americans, 13%, are very familiar with the term deep state. Another 24% are somewhat familiar, while 63% say they are not familiar with this term. However, when the term is described as a group of unelected government or military officials who secretly manipulate or direct national policy, nearly 3 in 4, 74%, say they believe this type of apparatus exists. Okay, Only 1 in 5 say... That doesn't exist. So most people believe that this stuff is going on, even though they maybe not, don't have a name for it. And if you ask people, what is the deep state? You're going to get a lot of different answers to that question as to who they are. Let me tell you what I think, all right? That and five bucks will get you a cup of coffee, okay? But this is what I think. I believe the deep state is made up of corrupt politicians. Now, this is being unveiled right now, okay, in our government. It is being unveiled, and people are going to go to jail. I hope people are executed for treason. It is happening, and it is happening now. Corrupt politicians, I think the deep state is made up of no, most of the news media. Okay? I mean, if you're paying attention, they all say the same phrase at the same time. They're pushing an agenda, people, and their agenda is fear with this. They want you afraid. All right, I think the deep state is also made up of most of those in Hollywood. They're part of this. And a handful of billionaires. Now, the deep state was involved in such things as Pizzagate. How many of you know what Pizzagate was? Oh, man. Okay, well, see, because you don't hear this stuff on the news media. The news media is not talking about this. All right, but this is stuff's going on. How many of you know what adrenochrome is? The deep state is involved in this. They were involved in Pizzagate. They're involved in adrenochrome. They're involved in Satan worship. Listen, they are pure evil, and they want to destroy our constitutional republic. They hate America and all it stands for. They're pro-socialism. They're pro-communist. They're globalists. Let me tell you something, believers. If Hillary had become president, China would own us right now. We would be living under communists. Well, maybe we'd get to really worship like the Chinese Christians do, so that might be a plus to that. But listen, to those of you out there that are Trump haters, plug your ears for a minute, okay? Or just go away, because listen, I believe Trump is a grace gift to those who love this constitutional republic. And when someone says, what has he done? Oh my word, it would take weeks to tell you what he's done since he's been in office. Because the news media is not reporting anything he does. Have you ever asked yourself, why does Hollywood, why does most of the news media and politicians hate President Trump so much? Have you ever seen such hatred before? From any, why? Why do they hate him? I think it's because, I know I give my opinion a lot here. 
Right. <laughs> I think it's because since the day he was elected, he has gone after human trafficking and drug cartels. And this people is what funds the deep state. Okay? Human trafficking is going on at a level that you it would just absolutely blow your mind. All right, what is happening? And for, for the last three and a half years, President Trump has been shutting down, going after. He's got military operations around the world, shutting down child trafficking, rescuing children, cutting off this cartels, building the wall so that this drug money's not coming in, cutting off their funds, and they are furious. Believers, what is happening in our country right now is not about a virus. Okay? It's not about a virus. Have you ever asked yourself, why do the news media work so hard to put down hydroxychloroquine? Why does the news media want us to think this is a bad thing? It's a dangerous thing. You know why? Because it's a cure. It works. And see, if you get a cure for a pandemic, guess what? It ends. And they don't want it to end. The deep state wants this country shut down until it's bankrupt. They want to ruin this country. That's why if you look at the democratic states, it's interesting how they're fighting like crazy to keep their state shut down. People, we're not fighting a virus. We're fighting a spiritual war against evil, against falsehood. We're at war, and it should be clear, evil is trying to consume us. They want to ruin what we have. And I believe that President Trump and the patriots are in complete control of this event. You say, well, it doesn't look like it. This is a military event, people, okay? And strategy is involved. But things are happening now that they've been talking about for years, and they're finally starting to happen. They're going to take down the deep state, and they want to restore this country to the people. You know that President Trump has merged the federal bank with the treasury? Okay, everybody's worried about the federal bank. The federal bank, the federal bank runs this country, okay? Um, Kennedy tried to shut it down. What happened to him? They killed him. Okay? Trump has merged it with the Treasury. Guess who's in charge of the Treasury? Trump. He controls the money. Okay? Things are happening, people. Good things are happening. You know what President Trump's going to do? And he's talked about this if you listen to him as pressers. He wants to do away with income tax. Income tax is used to pay back the federal bank. Okay? He wants to take away. And he's doing it like... We're going to try it for a year to help get the economy started. No, he doesn't want to try it. He's going to do it. You think if he stopped charging you income tax and all your paychecks so good and all of a sudden, well, we're going to do away with that. You think people would put up with that? No. I'll tell you what. I, I really believe that when all this is over, when the dust clears, America is going to be such a different place, better place. Get rid of this deep state. Could I be wrong? Absolutely. Ask my wife. <laughs> She'll show you that there's... Can you think of an occasion I have ever been? Okay, so she... Yes, yeah, so the possibility is... The possibility is I could be wrong. But listen, whether you believe in the Q movement or not, you have to see this for what it is. It's a spiritual battle, people. It's, it's a battle of darkness against light, evil against good, truth against lies. And we need to pray for our president and we need to pray for our country or America as we know it will be gone and will be under communistic control. 
You know, all these, poly, deep, these deep state politicians, they all talk about China. They love China. China's a good, China's great, China, because they're all getting paid a lot of money from China because China's trying to take over this country. And Trump's got on there and said, pump the brakes. China's in a place now, they're going to come crawling to us because he's moving. He, the trade routes are changing. He's changing everything. Apple is no longer in China. Apple's in India now. He's going to get everything out of China and he's going to rearrange everything. Because these people, he's done playing these games. And Trump's been saying this long before he was president. China's been ripping us off for years and years and years. It's done now. All right. If you want to keep up with, you know, I don't know who Q is. I don't understand all this. It can get a little difficult. Okay. So if you really just, I'll give you Shelly's number. You can call her. She can tell. (laughs) She she can explain to, no, listen. If you, if, if you want to keep a handle on what's really happening behind the scenes, here's what I recommend. X-22 Report. He puts out two videos every day, except Saturday. He gives a financial report that's about 15 minutes long, and then he gives another report just explaining. He explains the Q-drops. He explains what's happening. It is very informative. Here's the thing to me. It's very, very encouraging. I mean, I get done listening to these reports, and I'm like, we are winning. Yeah, it's exciting. And it's stuff you're not going to hear them, even Fox talk about. And i got to tell you, you know, I've mentioned Fox earlier in this series, but I've been pretty proud of Tucker and Laura Ingram. They're calling it what it is. And I'm like, I can't believe they're still on the air. Okay? I mean, they are, they are putting it out there, you know? All right. So, you know, go to X-22 Report. Start listening to this stuff. Uh, I tell you what, you'll be educated, and you'll be encouraged, all right? And that's what I want to do. I, I want you to be encouraged. All right, as believers, if we're going to survive all this, we need to put on the armor of God so we can be victorious through the battle. So let's look together at this passage from Ephesians 6 about the armor of God. I want to start with verse 12, and then we'll back up, but I want to get a context here. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, over the present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Now, this verse is addressed, listen to me, to the first century saints and to them only. Why? Because Paul tells them they're not fighting flesh and blood. We are fighting flesh and blood. We're fighting evil people. Evil, greedy people. That's who we're battling. They were not fighting flesh and blood, all right? This is speaking about a battle that, they were, that was going on at that time with spiritual forces who were not flesh and blood. He's talking about the divine counsel and the battle that was going on between Yahweh and the lesser gods. And I believe that that battle that the first century saints was fighting was against spiritual beings. Notice the terms Paul uses here. He says you're fighting rulers. This is the Greek word arche. RK has a wide range of meanings. Then he says authorities, exousia, means power, ability, and privilege. Rulers and authorities could be titles for human enemies or they could be spiritual. But look at the next word, cosmic powers. This is the Greek word kosmokrator. You all familiar with that word? Right? Kosmokrator. Only time it's used in the New Testament. But it's used in the Testament of Solomon of spiritual beings. In the dictionary of deities and demons in the Bible, Cosmocrator means Lord of the world, world ruler. 
and it occurs in pagan literature as an epithet for the gods, rulers and heavenly bodies. Now, let me ask you something. Why would Paul use this word that is only used here in the Bible, but is used in other literature for spirit beings if he did not mean spirit beings? That would be confusing, okay? He's trying to tell us these are spirit, it's a spiritual battle in, with spiritual beings. He goes on to say, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So these forces are spiritual, they're not human, and they're in heavenly places. They're not on earth. So in the first century, their battle was with spirit beings. What about us? Well, I don't believe we're fighting Satan or spirit beings right now. This battle was unique to the first century saints. Listen, if you need more information on this, you're confused about what I'm saying here, I have a six-part series called Spiritual Warfare on the website. Go check that out. But having said that, let me say that I believe that we can find application to these verses for us today. And I'm going to show you that in a minute. All right? We're not fighting Satan. We're not fighting demons or gods. But as believers, we are in a battle with evil. If you don't know that, you're not woke. Okay? You're sleeping. As Christians, we battle worldviews and regulations of some very evil People. So I'm not saying, certainly not saying we're not in a battle. We are. But we 21st century believers are not fighting against rulers, against powers, against world forces of darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. That battle was fought and won by our Lord 2,000 years ago. Now let's look at these verses and see, can we make application to ourselves today? I believe we can. Because I believe we need the armor, when you understand what the armor is, as much as they needed the armor. Okay? Alright, and we'll back up to 6.10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Be strong here is literally, be continually strengthened. Now, in the original text, in the present tense, the passive verb suggests that we're not the ones who strengthen ourselves, but that we are continually depending upon the Lord to strengthen us. The prepositional phrase, in the Lord, denotes the sphere from which the strength comes. Namely, in the Lord, or in union with the Lord. Now, Paul's command to be strong in the Lord rests on the first two chapters where he makes it clear that what it, of what it means to be in the Lord. So the phrase, in the Lord, refers to Christ. Not God, which is consistent throughout this epistle. So we are strong only by the strength of His might. As Paul taught earlier, that same power that God wielded in the resurrection of Christ is being exercised for the benefit of those who are in Christ. Look what he says in Ephesians 1, 19-20. And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe? According to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places. Now the Greek here is highly poetic. But he is essentially praying that Christians might know something about the powerful force of the powerful God who we serve. Believers, Yahweh, our God, is omnipotent. You know what that means? He is all-powerful. This refers to the fact that God's power is infinite. It is unlimited. Psalm says our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. Why? Because He can can you imagine? I can do anything I want. Omnipotent. Now, the strong Christian 
is one who has come to see more and more of his own weakness and propensity towards sin, and that awareness drives him to depend on more and more on the Lord's strength for everything. So when you realize you're weak, you understand, you get your strength from Him. While he was on the run from Saul, David had allied himself with the Philistine king. And he was about to go into battle against Saul and the forces of Israel, but God intervened. You know, some of the Philistine leaders said, hey, you can't bring that guy into battle with us. He's an Israelite. He'll turn on us when we get in there. Send that guy home. Get rid of him. So they sent David home. David and his men were sent home from the battle. When they arrived, they found that their city they lived in was burned and their wives, their children, and their possessions were taken captive by the Amalekites. At that point, David's men were so embittered that they were about, they were talking about stoning David. 1 Samuel says this, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in Yahweh his God. David's finding his strength in God. He said, I'm going to trust in Him. Now the Lord graciously directed David to pursue the raiders and recover all of their families and goods. They got all their kids back, their wives back, all their goods back. The same strength that David depended on is available to every Christian today. You may be at your lowest point. You may be so discouraged. Maybe you're out of work because of this event. Maybe you're, you're, you're whatever because of this event. You're in fear. You've got to trust God. Because no matter how much things seem to be against you, you can be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. We can have confidence to face pressure to face adverse circumstances, hostile powers, knowing that God has put in our lives a power so strong that it raised Christ from the dead. Resurrection power. That is the standard of power. All right. In the Old Covenant, the standard of power was what? The Exodus. When God wanted to talk about His power, He delivered the children of Israel. The New Covenant standard of power is the Resurrection. Because that's power, people. Life from death. Okay? That's the kind of power our God has. And this power is available to every person who is in Christ. Now, from start to finish, the Bible proclaims the mighty power of Yahweh. And when fierce enemies threatened to annihilate His chosen people, time and time again, Yahweh provided deliverance for them. Miraculous deliverance. In one of the most dramatic instances, Sennacherib's army had Jerusalem surrounded. They're taunting Israel. We're going to kill you all. It looked like Israel was doomed. But in response to Hezekiah's prayer, now please understand that. Because, you know, people, I think we have such a limited view of prayer. In response to Hezekiah's prayer, Yahweh delivers people. 2 Kings 19.35-36 And that night the angel of Yahweh went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. You're worried about this guy? I can take care of him. That's a lot of work, 185,000. That's a lot of killing, okay? And when people arose early in the morning, I'm not sure who arose, behold, these were all dead bodies. Everybody's dead. 
Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived in Nineveh. He said, I've got to get out of here. This is not... Uh, God is fighting for Israel. I'm going home. Listen, often throughout Scripture, Yahweh reminds His people of the obvious, that nothing is too difficult for Him. Nothing. And our strength, believers, comes from our dependence on our union with Him. 6.11 says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, we don't have to worry about the devil. The Lord dealt with that. But we still, again, we deal with evil men, and that's why I'm saying we need to put on the armor of God. Of God here is the genitive of origin, indicating that God provides the armor. Now, please keep that in mind. They're to put in the armor so what? So they can stand. Stand is a key word in this section. He repeats it in verse 11, verse 13, verse 14. And the word withstand in 6.13 comes from a Greek compound from the root word to stand, meaning literally to stand against. This is a military term for holding a position that is under attack. And believers, everything we believe is under attack. I have the belief we are called to hold our position. How do we do that? We stand theologically. Because everybody now is trying to change the oh no, no, we got a weak God and we're in charge and God does what we tell them and all this stuff. And we are being attacked morally. You know, things the Bible says are moral, you know, and I like arguing with people who don't believe in God. Where do you get your standards for morality? You just make them up? Who decided? Is it okay to kill? No, why not? If there's no God, who tells me what's right and what's wrong? You know where Paul was when he was writing this letter? Very good class. He was in prison. Okay? He was in prison in Rome as he writes this. And we know that he was in chains because he tells us that. He says, For which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare boldly as ought to speak. So he's chained and he had standing before him around the clock Roman soldiers. So many have suggested that Paul got the idea of putting on the full armor of God from the armor of the Roman soldier. And that may be true. But it also may be true that he's thinking about Isaiah 11.15, which says of the Lord, Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. We'll talk about the importance of belts in a minute. He could be talking about Isaiah 49. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me a polished arrow in his quiver. He hid me away, and he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. He could be talking about Isaiah 59. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Now, to those of you who know these texts from Isaiah, you know what they have in common if you're familiar with it. You'll recognize immediately that Isaiah 11 is the great chapter on the Messianic King and how he's going to come and establish his kingdom. Isaiah 49 is one of the great servant songs of Yahweh. And Isaiah 59 is a Messianic chapter that has to do with Christ. So all three of these passages then are passages that speak about the Lord Yeshua, the Christ, as the warrior King of God. The fact that he draws this description from Old Covenant Messianic passages suggests he's really thinking of Yeshua as a warrior. And we are in Him. And therefore, we have His strength, His power, and His authority in the trials of life as we trust in Him. Now, the armor 
I believe, is a graphic way of saying what Paul says in Romans 13. Paul puts it this way. Put on the Lord Yeshua the Christ. In Ephesians, he says, put on the whole armor of God. Then he says, put on the Lord Yeshua the Christ and make no provision for the flesh. In other words, Christ Himself is our armor. Does that make sense? He is the belt of truth. Yeshua said to Him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but me. So Christ is the truth. He is also our breastplate of righteousness. For our sake He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. He is the gospel of peace that we stand on. But now in Christ Yeshua, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace. Ephesians 2.17 And He came and He preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. He is also the shield of our faith. Hebrews 12.2 Looking to Yeshua, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He is our helmet of salvation. He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Yeshua the Christ, our Savior. He is our sword. He is the Word of God. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. So Yeshua is our armor. He's capable of protecting us from every trial, every situation that we face. Therefore, He says, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand an evil day, and having done all to stand, stand firm. So here He talks about standing in the evil day. Now, the prepositional phrase, in the evil day, seems to be referring to the final cataclysmic satanic outbreak just prior to the second coming of Christ. The evil day was at the end of the times, the end of days, the old, end of the old covenant era. That age and that reign of Satan, as I said, ended in A.D. 70, at the parousia of Christ. Christ is now ruling, and the devil has been defeated, but we, 21st century believers, still face evil. And if we're going to stand against it, we have to put on the armor of God. Because it's trying to take over everything, people. Everything. So I see Paul is saying the same thing in Ephesians 6 that he said in Romans 13. In Ephesians, he calls it an evil day. In Romans, Paul tells them to know the time. He says, besides this, you, you know the time. And the word for time here has nothing to do with chronological time or calendars. It's the Greek word kairos that points to an event, an epoch, or a significant happening. He says, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. He equates their salvation with day, which is referring to New Covenant. The Old Covenant was night, and it was about to pass away in His day. And the rabbis connected the Olam Haba and the resurrection. The night is a time when they were sleeping. The day is when they were raised. He says, put on the armor of light. Now, the verb put on is ordinarily, ordinarily used of putting on clothes. And I see putting on the armor of light the same thing as putting on the armor of God, which is the same thing as putting on Christ. We see in Romans 13.12, he says, put on the armor of light. 13.14, put on the Lord Yeshua the Christ. 
This is the heart of Paul's exhortation. This sums all up all he said in Romans 12.1 through 13.13. 13. What, what does he mean by put on Christ? Well, put on here, and in Ephesians 6.11, is from the Greek word enduo. And it means put on clothes or envelop in. It has the idea of a garment which is wrapped around oneself, and the Greek word is used literally this way in a number of places in the New Testament. A literal parallel to this use of put on is quoted from Dionysius in Roman Antiquities 11.5 where it says put on Tarquin means to play the part of Tarquin. So in duo, in Ephesians 6.11 and Romans 13, is an aorist imperative middle. An aorist imperative calls for a specific, definite, decisive choice. Do this now, do it at once, do it once for all. The middle voice indicates that the subject performs an action upon himself or herself. So believers are called out to once and for all put on Christ as a garment. To play the part of Yeshua. Paul is saying, become like Christ. Act like Him. Put on Yeshua, Hamashiach, when you get up in the morning, make Him a part of your day. Live like Christ. That's our calling. Now, Keep that in mind and notice what Paul says in Galatians. Galatians 3.27 For as many as you, as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Now put on here is in duo. But here it's in aorist indicative middle, which simply states a thing as being a fact. Believers, he says, have clothed themselves in Christ at salvation. Being baptized into Christ is identifying. Baptism has the word here of identification. You're identified with Christ. So, you're a Christian, he says, you put on Christ. So, here's the question. Thinking minds want to know. How can Ephesians 6.11 and Romans 13.14 say to believers, put on Christ? And then Galatians 3.27 says, we have put on Christ. I believe that Galatians is talking about our position. Positionally, you put on Christ. But Romans and Ephesians is talking about our practice. At salvation, every believer puts on Christ in the sense that we receive His righteousness. Notice Romans 4, 5. To the one who does not work. Did you get that? Does not work. Okay? But believes in Him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. No works, just faith. And my favorite verse, Romans 5.19, For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners. That's Adam screwed things up for us. Then he says this, So by the one man's obedience the many were made righteous. Please, get what this verse is saying. By one man, speaking of Christ, by Christ's obedience, you were made righteous. So are you righteous? Yep. Because of what you do? No. Because of what He did for you. Because of His obedience, you're righteous. Guess what kind of righteous that would be? Because what kind of obedience did Christ offer? Perfect obedience. When you trusted in Christ, you received His righteousness. That's the only righteousness that anybody will be able to get into heaven with. Okay, You can't create your own. God declared you righteous in Christ because positionally you are in Christ. 
You become united with Christ and you share all He is and has. In Ephesians 6.11 and Romans 13.14, Paul's talking to believers and he's telling them not, he's telling, he is not telling them to get saved and put on Christ's righteousness in a positional sense. In this text, putting on Christ is an exhortation. Those who are positionally righteous are to practically act like it. We're to play the part of Christ. You're to live like Him, act like Him. We talk, we've been talking about this in 1 John. This is abiding in Christ. That's what he's talking about. He's using different language, saying the same thing. You know, many believers don't look like Christ. But they're supposed to. They're supposed to. How do we do this? Well, let's look at the different pieces of armor that Paul lists here and see what we can learn from them. He says, therefore, stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth. Now, the clothing that the Israelites of old wore was not like ours. You got that, right? Okay? Nobody in Israel walked around with skinny jeans or any, you know, this kind of nonsense on, all right? The men didn't wear pants or sport coats or ties or any of that stuff. They wore garments that looked like a, basically just cut a hole in the middle of a blanket and threw it over you, all right? And, you know, you can understand that'd be kind of difficult to do a lot of things in. So if a guy was going to run, he'd first have to gather up the garment and tuck it into his belt. So that's why the belt was so important, all right? He'd tie the, put that sash in the, so he could run and not stumble and fall. Girding the loins was the first step of preparing for vigorous activity. You can't have all that, you can't be tripping over all those clothes you got on. Now, in the soldier's armor, it's the belt that holds the rest of everything in place. So likewise, truth holds everything together in our Christian walk. And that's why when truth breaks down, Everything breaks down for you, okay? Without truth that God has revealed in Scripture, there is no righteousness, there is no peace, there is no faith, there is no salvation for us to put on. Our priority must be to gain knowledge of the truth. And people today, that's a difficult task because if you're listening to any kind of media, you're getting a lot of false input. You've got to go to the Word of God. We need to pursue theological and biblical studies so we can construct a foundation for our spiritual life. And as we increase in our knowledge and commitment to truth, we become increasingly protected from deception. Because when you know the Bible, when you hear false things, you know, that's not right. That's not right. Now the late philosopher, philosophy professor Alan Bloom, began his bestseller, The Closing of the American Mind, saying this, he says, this is one thing a professor can be absolutely certain of. Almost every student entering the university believes, or he says he believes, that truth is relative. One of the plans of communism was to get in the school system and destroy education. They've done a very good job. Okay, a very good job. He says, if this belief is put to the test, one can count on the student's reaction. They will be uncomprehending that anyone could regard the, position, the proposition as not self-evident astonishes them as though they were calling into question 2 plus 2 equals 4. These are things you don't think about. He goes on to point out that although these students may be varied in backgrounds and religious beliefs, they are unified in their allegiance to relativism and equality. The danger they fear from those who hold to absolute truth is not error, but intolerance. And tolerance is the supreme virtue that our educational system 
has been calculated for many decades. Unless, I might add, it applies to Christians or conservatives. They're not tolerant of, they're not tolerant of that. They're tolerant of anything else. Anything else. Okay? And the contradictions can just pile. They're for women. We need to protect women. Yet they're for Islam. Uh, those two don't go together, people. Okay? They don't go together. Tolerance is the supreme virtue in our educational system. Bloom says, the point is not to correct the mistakes of the past and really be right. Rather, it's not to think you are right all the time. You're right at all, even. You can't think you're right because that's an arrogant position. Now, Bloom is not a Christian. He's a Jewish philosopher at a secular university. He was pointing out the absurdity of intellectual relativism. It effectively shuts down rational discourse, education, and all attempts to improve society by resolving problems. But it's firmly entrenched in our educational system and in our society at large. And if we throw out the idea of absolute truth, we're discarding absolute standards of morality. And that's why today there's, it's okay. You can kill babies, you know? It, you know and the, I love the little saying, it's my body, my choice. But see, that again gets turned on its head because you have to wear a mask. Well, wait a minute, isn't it my body and my choice? That doesn't work? You know, the Me Too movement worked, you know, when they were going against Kavanaugh, but it doesn't work now when they're going against Biden. No, 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 we don't believe her. It's just, you know, it's crazy, people. This is not just the problem of the unsaved, okay? A study by George Barna in the early 1990s shows that while only 28% of the general population express strong belief in absolute truth. Listen, 28% of the general population believed in absolute truth. Among those who identified themselves as born-again evangelicals, the number dropped to 23%. To only 23% of evangelicals who say they're born again believe in absolute truth? This is scary, people. Now, Back to our text, commentators line up on both sides of the question of whether truth here refers to God's truth as revealed in His Word or the truthfulness and integrity of the believer. I think he's dealing with both here. The armor is a metaphor for Yeshua. He is the truth. And we're to play the part of Christ. We're to put on Christ. Put on that truth. Paul referred to the Bible and its central message as the Gospel the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2.15. Therefore, any deviation from God's word, it's error, it's falsehood. And that's why believers, we need to know the book. We can't stand on truth that we don't know truth. And too many Christians today, they don't have a clue about truth. They really don't. They just believe what they hear. They never do any research themselves. Clearly, God communicated the truth of his word in written propositional statements that can be understood. The emerging church movement rejects this and opts for storytelling approach to the Bible. But in the process, they make many false propositional statements about the propositional statements of the Bible. People, we need to hold firmly to the idea of God and His Word as absolutely true in every culture and in every age. We need to hang on to that. Because the Bible doesn't change. It's not like, well, our culture now doesn't go along. Well, then the culture's wrong. Because God laid it out forever. Gordon Clark wrote this. Since God is truth, a contempt for truth 
is equally a contempt for God. So how do we stand against the blatant attack on the morality of the Bible? How do we guard ourselves from falling into the moral relativism and tolerance of our degraded culture? Well, you need to gird yourself with the belt of God's absolute unchanging truth. And I'll tell you, one thing we're seeing in this war with the deep state is uh, if they open their mouth, you know they're lying. I mean, unbelievable. Obama come out of the woodwork to say this whole Flynn thing, this is a violation of the rule of law. I'm like, are you serious? He has done nothing but blatantly violate the rule of law, committed treason, and he's opening his mouth saying it's a violation of the rule. No, it's not. Barr is following the rule of law. And he's a pit bull, and he's going to take him down. People just, just wait. There's going to be rejoicing in the street, okay? There's going to be rejoicing in the street. Well, let's move on. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness... The breastplate covered the shoulder from his neck to his waist, front and back. Thus it protected his heart and other vital organs. Now in Hebrew thought, the heart represents what? Thought. Thinking. Okay. If they want to express emotions, where does that come from? The gut. The bowels. Alright, so the breastplate of righteousness protects the believer's mind, will, and emotions. The Christian is a righteous person, not because of his good works, but because he's been justified by God through faith in the work of Christ. And this knowledge gives us the basis on which we can resist anything that tries to undermine our confidence in approaching God. Christians sometimes sin, but God has provided a solution for this. He says, you need to put shoes for the feet. Shoes are really important. I think you understand that, right? Especially for a soldier. If you can't stand up, you've got a really hard time fighting. Alright? So, they would put on these shoes, these sandals, like, and they would stud the rubber underneath them with sharp nails so they would literally dig in wherever they were standing so they could have stability. And, and I don't think this, you know, shoes here are talking about evangelism. The context here is about defense, not offensive armor. And the idea is that the believers are prepared to stand against attacks because they're firmly grounded in the gospel. We know what the Gospel says. The Gospel of peace gives believers tranquility of mind and security of heart. I'm secure in my God. Bring on this stuff. You can stand firm. He says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can distinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one. Shield here. Thureos. And Wood writes as follows. Thureon is derived from Thera, a door, which refers to a large oblong um, piece of wood that the Roman soldiers would hold in front of them for protection. It consists of two layers of wood glued together, covered with linen and hide, and bound with iron. And he said soldiers often fought side by side with a solid wall of shields. You've probably seen that on some movies. I mean, they just put their shields down next to each other, and it's a wall. Okay? But even when they're fighting with themselves, you know, they, they hold this thing up and protected them. From the Christian, this protective shield is faith. Believers were to trust in Yahweh our God, and as we put our trust in Him in every situation we face, it quenches the fiery darts. Okay? Because today, right now, we're dealing with so much fear. The media is pushing so much fear. People are afraid of a virus that is like the boogeyman because, it, like I said, it's, it's not anything different than a seasonal flu that we go through every year and don't even think about. 
but they have us afraid. And the masks are a sign of submission. Put on your mask because we want everybody afraid. And when they see the mask, they say, oh, that's right, the virus. We've got to be afraid. It's... He said the hypocrisy with the whole, this whole thing is so great, it isn't even funny. You know? I mean, they're letting prisoners out so they don't get COVID. Why don't you just give them masks? Here's a mask, prisoner. Stay in jail. Well, because they know the mask doesn't stop it, okay? <clears throat> Even in a single-handed combat, he found himself, every soldier found himself sufficiently protected. Believers, we've got to trust in Yahweh. We've got to trust in our God. We have to walk by faith. And he says, take the helmet of salvation. By helmet, he means that biblical truths about salvation protect your mind. Our understanding of salvation we have in Christ and our justification by Christ serves to guard our conscience against doubts and fears. Because doubts and fears cause so much damage. Doctrine protects the mind like a helmet protects the head. I'm not going to get moved on this issue because I know what the truth is. I'm solid. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is not talking about our beliefs about the Word of God, but telling us to take up the sword. Paul is telling believers to apply it. He's calling his readers to take possession of biblical doctrines and identify with them. Paul uses a term here for the word which is probably a reference to an individual text. It's probably a reference to a particular word. Rhema is distinguished from logos in that way. Now, if we don't store up the word of God in our minds, we don't have a sword of the word of God. We don't have it. 6.18, he says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Now, in the original Greek, Ephesians 6.18 does not begin a new sentence. It connects with 17 like this. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times. So Paul is saying, take the sword, praying. Prayer is the power that wields the weapon of the Word. So believers, we're urged to take the sword of the Spirit by prayer and maintain alertness. Paul mentions prayer. It's interesting. He finishes up with this armor and then he says, pray. Four times in this verse. He's trying to emphasize the priority of prayer. I think we have a really misconception about prayer in this country. Remember what Gennady said at the conference? In my area, prayer works. That's powerful, people. Because, you know, we'd say, yeah, because it doesn't work in our area. <laughs> Do we? In his area, it works. Paul uses three different words here. He uses prosuke, deasis, and prosukomai. The word praying here is from the verb prosuke, which was used from the earliest times to suggest communion with the deities, whether it's the form of a vow or petition. The word prayer is prosukomai, which points to the general privilege of prayer and lays stress on prayer as an act of worship or devotion to God. It looks at prayer as an approach to God from a recognition of our need and inadequacy. And of God's omnipotent ability to meet those needs. Both uses of supplication here are from the Greek word deasis. It means petition, supplication, or request. It stresses the sense of need. Paul also uses the word all four times in verse 18. It's all prayer. At all times, with all perseverance, for all saints. Paul tells the believers 
Pray at all times. This phrase is literally at every opportunity. On all occasions. It's the same as he said in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. That should be our life. It's just constant communicating with God. Now the Greek words translated without ceasing here, interesting, it's used of a a hacking cough and repeated military assaults. Someone with a hacking cough doesn't cough every second, but rather he keeps repeating it often and often. It's not a sporadic thing. It's not out of the blue, but it's habitual. It's not an isolated act. Literally means in every season of life, always be praying. People, this is so important for the battle. We have to be before God in prayer. We're not battling cosmic forces, but we're fighting evil. And if we're going to be victorious, we better put on the armor of God. We better put on the Lord Yeshua the Christ. Paul is saying, become like Christ. Act like Christ. We are called to play the part of Yeshua. We're to put Him on. When we get up in the morning, we're to make Him part of our life that day. And if we do this, we'll stand as Christians in the midst of a culture that is antagonistic to everything we believe. Everything we believe. We'll be able to deal with trials and temptations. We'll be victorious over all that we face in life if we have on Christ and we're constantly in prayer. That's where we need to be, people. And listen, one of the things that as believers we need to be praying for is our our president and those who are battling with him to save this country. You know, I, I can't for the life of me understand why a man would give up the lifestyle he had to join a job where he would get attacked every single day, false things said about him, you know, attacked. And they've done everything they can to remove him from office. And guess what? None of it's worked. You know? Not, and at the end of the impeachment, guess what? Release the virus. Impeachment didn't work. Let's try something new. I've had people say, that's crazy that you think this virus was to get Trump out of office. It's crazy if you don't think so. Okay? It's a planned thing. It's a planned thing. But you know what? I don't care what they bring on because I think we're in a good position and I think, I think righteousness is going to win out over all the evil that's going on. And if you, if you begin to understand the evil that is, the deep state is involved in, you will know that it's, it's got to end because righteousness exalts a nation. And that's why, believers, we as individually are responsible to be living in a righteous, holy manner and then be praying for this nation in which we live. Paul tells us in Timothy, pray for leaders. Pray for them. So let's pray. Father, I thank You, Lord, for the opportunity to look at Your Word today. I pray that we would be diligent, Father, to put on the armor of God. To be able to stand against all the attacks that are coming against righteousness, against holiness. Father, we pray for our president. Lord, I pray You'd strengthen that man, encourage him. I pray that You'd raise up believers around this country to get on their knees, Lord, and call out to You. I pray that believers would also stand up and get back to church. Start worshiping. Start serving You, Lord. Father, we thank You for Your grace to us. We look forward, Lord, to what You're going to do here for us. But Father, we take joy, we take great comfort in the fact that the kingdom of God moves on. They can't touch it. They can't stop it. May we be ambassadors of it, Father. 
In your name we pray. Amen.